Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Hopefully Sustainable. We are moving into the second part of, a, of our two-part series leading up to National Art Day. So today I am talking to Christina Ford, and I first met Christina when I was working at the Office of Sustainability, similar to last week's episode with Abigail West. We all worked together as interns, and Christina was the artist in residence at the Office of Sustainability. So I'm really excited for her to tell us all about her internship position and all of the incredible work that she's been doing. But first, Christina, will you just introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about who you are? Sure. Um, thanks so much, Jacob, for having me on your podcast. Um, my name is Christina Ford. I, um, I guess, I'm a professional artist and painter and sculptor. Um, I was pursuing my terminal degree in painting, a master's of fine art at UGA, when I met Jayco and became part of the Office of Sustainability's internship program, which was focused on um, kind of creative methods to educate and connect people through sustainability um, interests. And um, I also have three children and two stepchildren and um, two cats and a dog. <laughs> the, the whole family. Yeah. <laughs> so I asked Abigail this same question, and I'm going to ask you as well. But going back to the beginning, where did your passion for art come from? Well, um, I would say there's two answers for that, and they happen at different stages of my life. When I was very young, um, my father was a naval officer and we moved a lot. And so um, we would move really every six months to 12 months for quite a long time, which was extremely jarring for me as a little kid. And so I always had my own room because I had two younger sisters and I would end up having new houses and my own room all the time. I was sort of separated a lot, it felt like anyway, especially in a new classroom, etc. So I started drawing and particularly I was drawing floor plans. I wanted to be an architect for a very long time. Um, but then later I started to realize that um, I really love sort of the I really loved the messiness of art making with my hands and I was very tactile. And so I sort of began to do more of a fine art thing. Later in life, when I got divorced, I started to paint kind of to conquer fears and deal with an emotional interior. And my paintings took off and I started an accidental second career as a painter while I was doing arts administration, you know, career stuff. So two points at which the artist thing was chosen. Wow, that's a really interesting story. Before you came to the Office of Sustainability and to UGA for your master's program, what kind of work did you do before that? I was in nonprofit program management for a long time, uh, working sort of in uh, 
the bridge between communications and technology and this is as the internet is starting to form so it was a little while ago and that was in the washington dc area and then once i had my three children um, and got divorced i decided to move more into fine art but partly because i was actually painting and really interested in um, art as a connector in the community so I worked at the Cumber Museum of Art and Gardens in Jacksonville, Florida, um, in their education department and running their public programming. And then I also, then I moved into um, a director position for arts and medicine at the University of Florida Health Medical Center in Jacksonville, um, which was a really interesting position, helping patient staff and um, visitors to experience interdisciplinary arts um, and connect one another and, re and sort of create a distraction and relaxation technique through various arts. Wow, I didn't even know that hospitals had programs like that. So that's really amazing to hear. What kind of work or what was that experience like working in the hospital? I had an amazing experience. It, the position really didn't exist. I sort of promised them that it was a blank canvas and we could do amazing things. And the industry is growing. Um, there are some hospitals that believe in this type of holistic healing um, for patients and staff. They're under enormous stress. Um, and so we did all kinds of different things. One example would be um, we had a staff of visual artists that would go room to room and just sort of enter into a hospital space and invite a patient to make a clay bowl. Um, and they would generally not want to, these are all adults. And so they would be sort of really suspicious. And so we started to say, hey, how are you today? Are you bored? And they're definitely bored. And they say, well, we have some activities today. And as long as we didn't call it art, and we called it an activity, they really engaged. And so these clay bowls they would make, we asked them to, um, use these stamp letters to press one word that was on their mind for that day. And then we took a photo of it and they took the bowls home. And then we made a huge exhibition of all the one words that happened all down a hallway. And that's when the physicians started to really go, wow, this is a powerful thing to see what's on the minds of our patients. And so a really important like internal education occurred in that particular exhibition it does however in a in a hospital with all the different kind of moving parts um it takes at least a year to get a hallway <laughs> so that would take an enormous amount of work and political movement to get the hallway first but it took about a year to get the hallway and then it took about a year to get all the bowls and the images of the bowls up from the hallway but it was a really that's a, just an example of probably one of maybe 15 different types of things that we did Wow. Why do you think that switch to from art to an activity was what got people involved? Do you think people were intimidated who didn't feel like they were artists? Absolutely. So it's my belief that somewhere around third grade, everyone gets shot down by a teacher or another student <laughs> and is told they are not an artist and it's the craziest thing ever. And many people wear that like some horrible inadequacy. And so the word art or seeing a paintbrush or these things that signify um, a skill that they don't believe they have can really shut down people just 
um, being willing to play or um, create or kind of apply themselves in this direction that is inherently vulnerable. And so by changing the language, it, we changed the perception of the potential experience and they became open to it. In several cases, patients who um, were being, were very resistant to surgeries um, and, and in a lot of pain started to have regular visits with us and they started to um, be more open and they felt relevant. Uh, we had a lot of programs, for example, where we had patients who were in terrible car accidents sitting there or epileptic seizures and they were waiting for their test results and they would make cards for homeless kids across the city and we would deliver those and they started to, there was just a relevance that started to form by doing certain things and being in conversation with others. And it was um, really interesting because in some of those cases, patients would make different kinds of decisions because there was an open-mindedness that formed and surgeons would start to send artists to the patients to sort of get them in a warmer place <laughs> to receive oh. information differently. It was really fascinating. Yeah, I can imagine, especially during times like we're dealing with right now, programs like this seem like they would be so important and very impactful at a lot of the hospitals across the U.S. or across the world. Absolutely. And it makes for really powerful conversations between a nursing staff. I mean, they, they were building birdhouses. They made these cards. We used um, codes from an Africa, um, an African area of Ghana. And so we had sort of ways that they could make choices without being too intimate um, in the ways that they were communicating. So it was kind of an interesting process. At one point we had them, they could choose to make what we called silly socks. And I don't know if you've ever been to a surgery area, but you have to wear non-slip socks to okay. surgery and, and so that no one falls when they get up to go to the bathroom after surgery and when they're on medications. Mm. And so we had, um, for people going into surgery, they could make these fun puppet socks for their feet and, and name them and stuff like that. We would do silly things, but they were um, all adults. And so that was always very interesting to try to get adults, adults to engage and let the kind of their child out, sort of, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's really, really cool. Well, it sounds like you've done a lot of work that has helped other people. What does it feel like to use your skill as an artist and know that people can relate to it and that it can help them get through these difficult times in their lives? Yeah, I think any time that you can slow down and sort of appreciate um, the tiniest things around you um, and settle yourself, I think it helps reduce anxiety in general, um, the quieting, um, and, and art is one of the many ways that visual arts could be one of the ways, but movement and Tai Chi or yoga and all of those types of things also do that, um, playing music or listening to music, um, even for some people, baking, you know, being doing something creative in the kitchen um, can kind of slow things down and help you feel centered again. Yes, well, we were just talking about that before we started recording. There are a lot of people that are learning how to bake or using those baking skills during this quarantine time. So that's definitely one way people can be artistic during this time. 
Yeah, and singing in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there we go. See, everyone can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to transition to your time at the Office of Sustainability. What led you to apply to the artist in residence position as an artist? I know um, there is a few people from the art school who were involved in the sustainability certificate and the sustainability office. So what led you to become a part of that community? The, the most honest answer is that two of the faculty in the School of Art um, wrote me and said, I really think you should apply for this. Uh, you would fit it really well. So that's actually what happened. Um, and it was in part because I was just about to kick off a project called Imagination Squared Pathways to Resilience. And they saw it as a natural fit. And they sort of got um, the press early on about the, the artist in residence program. So I was just basically encouraged to apply. Yes, well, I'd love to talk about Imagination Squared. So can you tell us a little bit about what that project was? Uh, I ran a project called Imagination Squared 10 years ago in 2010 in Jacksonville, Florida. And I ran it with a, um, a fellow artist, a sculptor named Dolph James. And we were friends and talking about how we would love to get um, samples of other artists work all around Jacksonville, Florida. And it grew suddenly into, wow, even more than artists, what about non-artists? And then how could we standardize something that we could pass around to everybody so that they had the exact same platform and then they could do something to it and we could have a collection and put it up in public. It was sort of a real rough thing, but it became clearer and clearer that this was like something worth trying. And so we knew it would either move virally and and go or it would fail. And so we just basically did a three month project where we um, plunked down some five inch wood squares all over the city. Uh, and I used my network at the time through the arts community and these universities there and some people I knew and sort of introduced the project. And then we just sort of left instructions on each square and sat back to see what happened. And within um, a week, we had 200 squares. And now we knew we had to make a ton and we were gonna meet the demands up until a three month window. And then we were gonna cut it off and promise to put them all in the public somewhere. So we do this in 2010 and it is so overwhelmingly successful that we end up with um, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Jacksonville, um, hosting a huge exhibition of the the final 910 squares that were turned in wow. and pe people from all over the city had participated and so many people were so excited about having their square many of them were not artists and so this is the first time they've ever thought of themselves as, a, as an artist and their and their little squares being put in a museum and they bring all of their friends and family. And so we broke attendance records for that museum for this particular opening. And people were lined up around the block for like hours in the rain trying to get in. Oh and it was gosh. so exciting. And so it connected the artists and the non-artists and important things for people to look at basically anything anyone wanted to do to the square. And a lot of people, you know, uh, glued things onto it. One person like sawed a shoe in half and stuck it on it. I mean, it's just kind of this wild thing. So ten, got to 10 years later and my entry into UGA and I was really interested in um, the word resilience. Um, I've been looking at ways that art could be used to connect 
um, a university with the town. I mean, I think there's a real problem in a lot of areas in college towns with the real divide between interests and resources between a town that hosts the university and the university campus environment. Mm. And they're real disparate. And I wanted to find something that would connect research being done on campus at UGA to something that everybody in the community could relate to. And I kept circling the word resilience because resilience can um, facili be facilitated in engineering and it can be in economics and it can be in uh, psychology research. It can be in um, ecology research as different types of species and um, are resilient to changes in the environment. Um, so I thought this was a great way to move through the community. So I used Imagination Square and its premise of passing around a five inch common platform wood square and decided to ask a prompt this time, sort of changing it from the previous um, version from 2010 and said, what does resilience mean to you as sort of now please uh, please make a change to this five inch square in some capacity representing your concept of resilience and so um, i initiated this in um, basically early 2018 and it was a, it was the centerpiece of my artist in residency um, with the sustainability office carrying this forward throughout the campus and throughout the community and doing different kinds of methods to gather up the public's response to what is resilience. You hit on it a little bit on how there's so many different definitions of resilience, but could you just give a little definition of what resilience means and since you've asked everyone what resilience means to them, I'm interested what resilience means to you. Well, resilience is um, the ability to recover from some kind of disturbance, essentially. Um, and there's a more specific way to look at that, but you could have um, disturbances in any system, uh, disturbance in economics, disturbance, um, you could have, a, you know, a hurricane come through and for a city that's the issue and they have to see, figure out how they're going to adapt and recover from something. Um, <clears throat> resilience to me, um, of course it is those things. It's been a very interesting thing to look at how people have responded. And when I made my square for my project, um, I focused on time uh, and sort of an attitude and time as a concept. And, and that was not one of the most popular ones that came back from the public. Um, but you have to pick something to symbolize resilience. And um, I also think that, that while not that many people chose it, it takes a lot of creativity to be uh, resourceful and adaptable in a situation where you're confronted with um, the inability to move forward in the same way you did before. So I guess I would say it takes some creativity and, um, you know, perseverance to push through into a new answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my square that I did, I'm thinking back to when I did it a couple years ago when I was an intern. And I believe that I did my square based off of my great grandma who passed away a few years ago. But her story was what first came to mind when I thought of resilience because she grew up in Poland and she was worked, had to work in a concentration camp and was separated from her family during the Holocaust. And 
She only received up till a third grade education, but she came to the U.S. and ended up getting married and having a son, and she lived a really long and great life. So that was what my square was based off of, was her story. So it was really interesting to kind of reflect on what each person thought of when they were asked that question of what does resilience mean to you? I am blown away. I am so excited to hear that story. And so obviously I did not get in touch with you to write that down and now you have to do it on the <laughs> website. That is so beautiful, Jayco. And that is exactly what this type of project does. It's extremely individualized and people, and it can be very difficult and abstract to think about what resilience and who represents resilience or what represents resilience to a person. And then the ego challenge of putting that onto a five inch block and then letting that go into public is a whole other thing. It takes people a lot of courage to participate in this project. Um, but um, guess what the number one answer was? Ooh, I don't know. Music. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So most people referenced music as the, te the thing that they um, focused on to become more resilient. Oh, that's really interesting. Were there any specific squares or stories of resilience that stood out to you throughout this whole process? Oh, there were so many. Um, I'll try to be brief. <laughs> there was an older woman um, named Barbara who did a square um, that was really about how she... Uh, her definition of resilience was staying alive after losing her child and grandchild in a car accident. And oh, she, wow. just, it's, she just said it took so long to feel like she could be happy again um, with the loss of them. So that was a grieving square. Um, another, um, another person was an artist that uh, did her square on... Iranian women and she's Iranian and so she um, basically does artwork that shows the face of Iranian women in the United States where those same Iranian women cannot show their face in Iran. So she exposes mm. their face as this um, important symbol of what it means to be seen and heard. And it's a, it's a feminist position. So that's a powerful concept in a tiny five inch square. So it's always amazing. There's another one um, that is really more of a square that a teacher told me about. So it had, it wasn't necessarily coming from the individual directly, um, but this young man had uh, an image of his like football gear and he had put some headphones on the top of his, his square. And she, the teacher told me that he, um, he wasn't sure how he was resilient until she was able to have a conversation with him. And he came from a very rough, very rough neighborhood and he had very few resources and he had um, family members that were fairly disengaged and she had to remind him that getting to school every day was an act of resilience on his part. And so that type of kid who is really at 17 doing something extraordinary that we all take for granted was the purpose for this particular prompt because I wanted that kind of kid who maybe didn't see himself as resilient, who saw himself 
under you know a ton of pressure and lack of opportunity and i wanted his square with his symbolism and his voice to sit right next to a professor who was studying resilience for 30 years and is already considered an expert in resilience and i wanted those two squares to take up the same amount of space and have the same hierarchical meaning in this community project Gosh, those are beautiful stories. That last one especially just gave me chills and made me tear up a little, honestly. But it just shows the power of art and how it can make people feel so empowered and realize these own personal realizations about themselves just through your question and through your art project. So that's that's so amazing. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an artist, but I assume a lot of the time artwork is created just with the involvement of the artist and their own minds and their creativity. But the Imagination Squared project has this participatory aspect that we've been talking about. What was that like working with so many different people compared to maybe your painting where that's just you working on it yourself? That's a wonderful question. It's a very different thing um, because in a participatory design project, as you mentioned, uh, I give up control. And so I don't control what happens. I don't control um, really whether the squares are well made. I don't control their aesthetics. I don't control the topics that come back. Some of these had um, foul language. I had to deal with whether or not that was appropriate. But, you know, that's the nature of letting people have a voice. They have a voice in the way that they know to have a voice. And so the number one thing is I give up control. Um, it is also, you know, a surprise at every turn. I am astonished. I cried many times, tears of joy or pain in reading the stories or listening to someone talk about how much time they put into their square. I mean, you, you cannot tell necessarily by a square that's drawn in a rudimentary way the depth of intensity um, and what went into it. And so as stories came back, so I would basically photograph each square that was completed, and then I would upload the photograph to this website at imaginationsquare.org, and then the, the participant had a chance to talk about their square in whatever way they'd like. And they also, if they had an area of research or expertise, they could add their own website. So this could be a forum for them to market their own work in some capacity. So a musician could put their website or an artist could put their website or scientists could put their website um, to help people learn more about what they do outside of this project. Um, and I'll just go ahead and continue with the fact that at some point it became really clear for Athens, Georgia, a big time music town, that visual arts was not quite enough. And so it was expanded to include sound. And at that point, it was really cool because one of the professors at the UGA campus uh, got word of this and incorporated Imagination Squared into his um, music in the real world class and had each student do a 30 second composition in their music theory class uh, to put together uh, 30 to 40 seconds of what resilience sounds like to them. And that was so awesome because these people with different backgrounds in music or 
in composition or they are violinists, um, they would just come in and kind of think about resilience through sound and come up with these different answers, each of which is fascinatingly interesting. Some of them remain in music, but many of them push out in, into different kinds of audio clips and um, compilations that are really abstract. It was a very creative project and really successful. Wow. So once you received all of the completed squares and the audio tracks, what was the kind of final aspect of this project? Is it something that's still ongoing or was there a completion at the end of it? Um, COVID helped it end radically. Um, we, I was still collecting squares and doing certain things and all of the buildings got shut down and all of a sudden it found an end that wasn't quite the end I had planned. It was scheduled at the Linden House Art Center here in Athens um, for an opening on September 10th. COVID, of course, that would have been a big, huge, boisterous party-like atmosphere, but with COVID, they made reservations and people were socially distanced and in masks and stuff. But we ended up with some pretty impressive numbers for this project. Um, we had 1,030 uh, visual squares that were returned and we had 74 uh, audio squares for a total of 1104 responses to resilience which was pretty cool a few people did two squares so we probably ended up with something like 1075 participants wow that's so amazing the turnout that you got do you think that you see this project moving into another city now that you've done two cities of Athens and Jacksonville, or do you see yourself doing a different project in the future? Um, that's a wonderful question. I think it could be it could be something that gets done. I've had after the 2010 version, many towns in Florida asked for permission to do. An imagination squared and I did just say as long as it was free accessible that it was never monetized that it stayed a collection and was given back to the city that they could use the name imagination squared um, and I asked that they use a five inch uh, common platform um, and so it could happen again I don't have plans to do anything I really like working in Athens so my I'm inclined towards coming up with something else that opens up a conversation and connects people through an idea here. I think this, this um, town has an enormous amount of um, diversity and places to bridge to one another and particularly in this uh, political era in Georgia and the deep south. Um, it's a really extraordinary time to come together. Where can listeners view all of the different squares that have been part of this project? Uh, Imaginationsquared.org. Okay, great. I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. And where can listeners find you if they want to follow along and see the different artwork that you've created? Oh, that's nice. Um, my website is cford, and that's spelled F-O-A-R-D.com. And that's where my paintings are. Okay, great. Yeah, I'd love for everyone to see all of the beautiful artwork that you've created. So I'll be sure to share that with all of the listeners. So I have one last question before we get to the final question of the episode. But 
With the direct impacts of climate change being felt and seen on a much greater scale than in the past, and there's a lot of communities, cities, and countries who are starting to talk about resilience, and I feel like we are beginning to hear the word a lot more frequently, but what role do you think art plays in trying to make our communities more resilient? Um, art is a connector. It always has been. Um, art is a conversation starter. Art is an idea being shared. It makes for deeper thinking and more important connection points around meaningful conversations. Um, a lot of times artists have, are sensitive people. They're people that observe a lot about the world around them and need to express something. And they tend to be on the cutting edge of the way a community or a culture is feeling and they are maybe some of the first members of the community, whether that's through music or um, through the visual arts or through um, murals um, or graffiti or all the methods in which we communicate with one another and share our ideas that as things um, are percolating and kind of coming to the surface uh, in a given culture, you're gonna see it first in the artists um, and by presenting and sharing publicly, you open into a dialogue of sorts. This case has a question and an actual conversation happening in a given space on the exact same topic. And in this case, it's about the numbers of population and the variations of response to the same prompt. Yeah, I definitely feel like art is maybe something that not many people in the sustainability field would think of when they think of resilience. So I think this was a really important conversation to have to bring awareness to the fact that art is going to be a very important part of making our communities and ourselves more resilient. Yes, it can bring a, a visual and sort of an extraordinary uh, placeholder to a very important conversation. It can also make data visualized. As we come to the end of the episode, I like to ask all of my guests what they are hopeful about. So I love to hear everyone's different answers. So I'm really excited to hear what you are hopeful about. Well, I guess I am most hopeful about your generation, Jayco. I, my children are your age and they are exciting. And as much as your Zoomer generation, I think maybe, I think you're a Zoomer, but it's, it, it gets that entitlement um, knock, but sorry, my cat's playing the piano. <laughs> I'm hopeful that he plays better. Uh, <laughs> Our first pet on the podcast. <laughs> it's it's dinner time right now, and they're like all hovering outside this door. I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> um, but seriously, let me get back because I am being taught so much about inequity at this time, and it's a thing that certainly my generation at your age knew but by no means do we fully understand. And there's so much being broken down right now. And, um, and in some ways, the other sides are making fun of those things too. It's a very strange time, but I have, I'm so excited about 
the new ideas coming out of this generation. And I don't have a doubt that the leadership is going to be extraordinary in 30 years. And I'm very excited about those elections. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> Well, Christina, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really enjoyed learning about Imagination Squared and more of the background behind it and how this is the second city that it's been in, which I didn't know about. So thank you for all the impactful and incredible work that you're doing and the differences that you're making in the community. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Thanks so much, Jaco. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.